0: Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. And our theme is loving your enemies, the saint makers, loving your enemies as saint makers. And you know I've said often that leadership flows out of healthy discipleship, starting with our own. You can't develop leaders in a church without great discipleship, the quality of our discipleship. Uh, directly relates to our ability to develop, you know, great leaders. Well, that begins first and foremost with us. You know, as goes the leader, you know, so goes the church, so goes the ministry, so goes any organization. We cannot give what we don't possess. We can only give what we do possess. And one of the central areas for every leader is how we deal with folks that we will define today as our enemies. Uh, I actually learned this principle of enemies as saint makers at a Trappist monastery many years ago at a uh, conferences they were doing each day for visitors to the monastery for the week. And the number two person running the monastery uh, talked about how Uh, enemies exist within their own community. And that that is the greatest challenge of their own discipleship is loving their enemies, those who irritate them and drive them crazy. And I was just in shock. I'm thinking, here's this, people are praying eight times, seven, eight times a day and enormous amounts of time in prayer and silence. And yet they're wrestling with difficult love. Uh, That's their biggest challenge. Uh, And I was like, wow, that there's no escaping it. It's the very heart of the Christian life. And so I want to talk to you today about how you, uh, as a pastor, as a leader, respond to those whom who are your enemies. Now, every leader has them. Now, I'm going to refer to those who drive you crazy. An enemy is someone who drives you crazy, someone who gives you a hard time, irritates you, you resent, uh, someone who has hurt you. At pivotal moments, uh we all experience, whether it's a firing, a board member who's obstinate or critical, a, a tough job evaluation, a person who's blocking us, uh, a betrayal. Uh, there, uh, Who hasn't been betrayed? I mean, I, I often think of Judas, and I've done a lot of study on Judas, and his struggle with Jesus, and he just couldn't see the larger picture of what Jesus was doing, and he couldn't take it. And uh, I've had people grow impatient with my own development over the years and not understand what I was doing and leave. Uh, but I actually get it now looking back, uh, but I couldn't then. But there's no question the way that God forms his leaders is through enemies, is through partially through enemies, through lots of hits that come our way. And what happens to many leaders, uh, we grow cold or, and anxious and angry and suspicious And it's not uncommon to meet an older leader who's been around a long time who, after many blows, uh, has become hard uh, and has a wall up versus someone like Mo, It's not a wall of wisdom. It's versus Moses who who had quite a few blows come his way. And in Numbers 12, verse 3, it refers to him as the meekest person on the face of the earth, the most broken person. So I want to just take this large theme today and I want to talk about it personally a little bit. Uh, I want to approach it biblically, and I want to also share some uh, insights that come out of church history, because they spoke about it a lot in the early church uh, fathers and desert fathers, because it was such a major issue of loving God, is loving our enemies. And uh, But we don't talk about it nearly as much uh, today in the 21st century. So let me just share, t- let me just share two big uh, enemies, I guess, that came my way that were pivotal in my own life. The first I've written about in a number of books, and it was a Spanish split that happened in one of the churches we had planted. And I was pastoring uh, in 1994, where 200 people left. And my associate uh, took them down the street and planted a church. And the feeling of betrayal was so profound, uh, so deep. uh, I was so angry, so wounded, so hurt. I did not think I would ever recover. I could ever get up from this uh I, it lasted a, I'd say that the, the, the valley of that probably lasted a year and a half to two years. I just couldn't understand why God would have allowed such a thing. It cut so deep. Um, eventually, through a long period of time, uh, emotionally healthy discipleship was birthed. I mean, my whole marriage was changed. My life was changed. My spirituality was changed. And and probably it's the two, two and a half years I actually met with uh, the person, uh, and my goal was to actually say thank you. I, I come to such a place of resolution, uh, and had to actually, I could see that it, he was God's. He was God's instrument for me to stop me from what could have been much worse, and really get my attention. Uh, yes, it was hell, uh, but I was able to say, you know, like Joseph, uh, you know, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Not that he intended to harm me; uh, he was just washing out for himself. Did he ask forgiveness? No, not at all. Uh, As far as he was concerned, he he was totally justified. And it was fine for me. I wasn't looking for uh, forgiveness from him or anything, but I said I was sorry to him for my contribution and why he grew disillusioned with me. So uh, again, looking back, it's easy to say, oh yeah, that that, that worked out well. Uh, A second really large one that I also didn't think I'd make it through happened around the time, uh, right before I transitioned out of being lead pastor from New Life Fellowship. Uh, after 26 years, and uh, a person who actually we had mentored uh, sent a letter to our board and uh, sent a letter basically with a long list of, you know, a few pages of, of accusations against myself. It was a skating letter. There was a lot of accusations in it. And <clears throat> over time, he had grown, grown disillusioned because I, I had let some people go uh, and – Clearly over time he was watching this and it built up. And then he ended up talking to folks from the way past, folks that had might hurt in earlier years and mistakes I'd made and seen my worst. And uh and so he wrote this letter. Uh didn't talk to me personally, uh sent it to the board and um, you know, it had things such as, you know, I ran the church like the mafia, you know, being Italian American, I I get it, you know, and killer of prophets, and he was a prophet, and I was gonna kill him too. And of course, I took through shot. Took a few shots at Jerry. I, I was in such disbelief; uh, I, I just couldn't even believe it. I, I, you know, I met with him a couple of times, uh, but I realized, and perhaps you've had this experience: meet with someone, their view of you is already set. I mean, his view of me. There was nothing I was going to say. Uh, it, he had me sign, sealed, delivered, and but I was devastated. Devastated. And I, I remember going to our board uh, and saying to them, "Listen, if even a little bit of this is true." Uh, you know, I'll resign because uh, you know, I've got some big problems. It was very painful, uh, I lost a couple of friends over it. I saw people who trusted me before begin to look at me uh, in a questioning way. Uh, and yes, I had made some mistakes and especially around letting one person go. And, and uh, I was already under deep conviction and asked forgiveness, was struggling with shame in that. And the timing of it was just, it was just interesting because the timing was, I, I was so raw uh because I was in this transition of letting go of being the lead pastor after all these years and uh i was I was fragile uh from that alone and uh I really barely did not think I would make it through this and uh of course it was it was it was a it was God's work in me and i I see the hand of God now years later uh it was such preparation and in, in 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 God putting some things to death in me. Uh, that he surely thought needed to be put to death. I didn't think they did. He did. Uh and it was a real preparation for writing that emotionally healthy leader book and it just killed something in me in a good way. Um that uh I look back now and I say my goodness. Uh you know, there's a suffering, you know, it says Paul says it's been granted to you not only to to believe in him but to but to suffer for him. Philippians 1. And I and there is just a, there's a suffering that comes with leadership that that no one is exempt from. When I went through that, you know, again, I've had a few major betrayals. I just share with you two, uh, but I don't know any leader in my life or anybody who's lived in an intentional community over a long period of time who has not experienced serious betrayal and enemies and enormous pain where they wondered if they would make it. Um, I really did an informal questionnaire with people who are Roman Catholic priests, Orthodox priests, uh, Anglicans, Pentecostals, Baptists, you name it, anyone living in monastic communities, uh, and everyone had that experience of that kind of a pain. So this topic is very complex, very multifaceted, and I surely don't understand it all. Uh, I'm not sure I want to understand any more than I do understand uh, because sometimes, for example, this even touches unresolved issues in our own past. So I remember a, a good friend therapist uh said to me once, uh, you realize that betrayal wasn't your first betrayal? And saying this to me in like 1994-95 when I was initially very devastated and and, uh, you know, pointing me back to my family of origin. And it was just so interesting, you know, and I never even thought of that. And I had to work through all of that. And I've always been sensitive to people pulling away from me and withdrawing. Why? Because I've, it's a family of origin issue. It's in my own marriage with Jerry. Uh, because, again, how my brain was wired. It's an... an it's in, it's in my neurology. It's in, it's in it's in the synapses of my brain and uh, sensitive of withdrawal. And so it's very deep family of origin stuff, and uh, and and things get touched along the way. What was interesting is even as a as a leader for years, I had I had my own disconnect. Like I love spending time with God. I love silence. I'm growing spiritually. I'm hearing God. I'm getting revelation. And I could spend time with God and feel like I'm really growing, and yet not be concerned about becoming a more loving person. Uh, I saw people as an interruption. I saw these enemies, these pains as as interruptions to my walk with Jesus. And it was very compartmentalized. And uh so it, it was a real it was a real um moment for me when it came together that loving God and loving enemies are inseparable. And so let me just as I launch into this, so we're gonna talk about a little bit biblically, some some church history. Um, who is your enemy today? Uh, who is someone perhaps who's driving you crazy or someone you're having a hard time loving, <clears throat> someone you resent or has hurt you? Uh, again, it could be your your church, uh, your workplace, uh, your family. But again, wherever and whenever you live in community, uh, you will be tempted to do a lot of murdering, as Jesus redefined murdering. Not necessarily in the act of murder, but words attitude and contempt, you know, that glance toward a person, a jerk, you say just jerk, and your your expression, that person's a pain in the neck, maybe you give them a silent treatment or sarcasm, withdrawal, or just murder with feelings in the heart. We're not seeing them as people, but objects. But this this issue of loving our enemies, it just hits to the heart of what it means to follow Jesus and how mature our following of Jesus is. And I, I think it rightly can be said, the degree to which we love our enemies is an indication of the measure of our spiritual maturity. Now, Jesus picks this up in, in the Sermon on the Mount uh, when he saw many disciples of the religious leaders of his day uh, who were cold and indifferent, uh, angry, uh, arrogant, and, and he quotes, he says, this, you've heard it was said, love your enemy love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? And so Jesus makes the point, few things are more important than learning uh, not to despise other people. In fact, Matthew 7, you know, that great passage on do not judge lest you be judged and take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. And he makes the point we're not to make final judgments on anyone. And that we consistently underestimate our own faults and we overestimate others and that we can really never be sure of uh, another person's character. That's really up to God to evaluate. And when he says don't judge, you know, I I once heard, I don't know who said it, but the synonym for judging is is the word despised. Uh, It's when we harden our hearts towards someone, we we despise them. And and that, that real spirituality, a spiritual person hides the fault of others versus highlights them. And and uh, again, coming, of course, out of our own personal experience of our own sin. And, you know, when not judging it does, not re- does not refer to realistically, you know, discerning good and evil, right and wrong. It's, it's about deciding, is this person worthy of love? It's writing somebody off. And, and it, it has rightly been said the whole of the Christian life is a refusal to judge or despise someone, to be harsh with someone. It's a pathway to purity of heart. It's, it's somehow to see that irreducible good in all people that a person is an incredible mystery, a universe so vast, you know, Jesus shed his blood for them that we can never really understand what's going on inside a person. But we do know that inside every person is a desire for God that's twisted, it's called sin. And uh, the great challenge is when when I'm personally wounded, how do I pray and love them when I feel nothing for them? John Climacus was a famous writer in the 600s AD at the Eastern Orthodox Church, and he, he wrote this about uh, the great tension or struggle in each uh, stage of the Christian life. He says, for beginners in the Christian life, the great failure centers mostly around greed. But for those who are making progress, their failures come primarily around pride, having too high a view of themselves. He says, but for those who are nearing perfection, those who have been around a very long time, their failures come solely from judging their neighbor. It's amazing. They're, those who have been around a very long time thinking for you and for myself as leaders, our failures come from judging our neighbors. And the older we get, the more of a problem it is because we see more, we know more, and we can be so right that we're wrong. Uh, we have a hard heart. Anthony, uh, uh, the great abbot in the fourth century, one of the Desert Fathers, has a very famous quote. He says, our, our life and death is with our neighbor. I'll say it again, our life and death is with our neighbor. If we win our neighbor, we win God. If we cause our brother to stumble, we've sinned against Christ. In other words, when he says, if life and death is with our neighbor, what he's saying is we renounce the power of judgment over someone. In other words, we don't have that. That's a task. He goes, that that's, that merits being described It's death. There's, again, there's no virtue than that of not despising anyone. Uh listen, th- this takes a miracle. I know then you're saying, well, how do I do this? It's not in me. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But uh, th- I want to just get biblically a framework on this, that this is the the heart of what it means to be a Christ follower, is the way we approach our enemies actually is different. Now, you may say, I, I can't do it. I get that. But the point is, this is what discipleship is. We, we love those who drive us crazy, who hurt us, who betrayed us. Uh, and of course, Jesus knows it well. So this is why we talk about discipleship uh and being serious about discipleship, it's got to include both growing in love for God as well as growing in how do I relate to people, how do I love people? And why for us over these years, the emotionally healthy discipleship course, and in particular the relationship part with the eight skills is so critical. Because how do you discern am I being a doormat? Am I not setting boundaries? Uh Am I, am I listening too much? Not enough. Am I clarifying expectations? That, that I, There's a base level of discipleship that we've got as leaders to, to establish. And again, I don't know how to say it strongly enough. Please, uh, you want to get that material set in your life of a solid discipleship on how you love other people uh, so that when you get to this PhD course in loving, which is loving your enemies, uh, you've got a base to actually work with. But few things are more important than Uh, not despising your enemies, but also seeing them as saint makers. I'll say it again. They're saint makers. They're making you a saint. Yeah, we are a saint by grace, but this is actually making you one, transforming you. You want to be a great preacher? This is going to make you a great preacher. Preacher, you want to be a person who makes an impact for Jesus? This is going to transform you to make an impact for Jesus. It's going to come through these kind of incredible moments uh, where God's going to use the people you want the least in your life to actually shape you and transform you. Isaiah 58 is a great passage uh, during uh, Isaiah's time where folks were deeply religious, having feast days, fasting, praying, memorizing scripture, passionate for holy, holiness, deeply committed. And God comes to Isaiah and says, Shout it aloud. You know, they're asking, Where is my protection? Uh, Why do they seem like they're going in circles? Why do their prayers seem to be going nowhere? And God says, because the way you treat your workers, you do as you please, your quarrel, your strife, your attitude, you're treating people as objects. He refers to the pointing finger and malicious talk. And he basically says in Isaiah 58, uh, you're doing an impossibility. You're thinking about the spiritual life apart from the actual loving of people. That's where God is. That's where God happens. That love of neighbor, you ready for this, is more important than prayer. Uh, you know, I used to say to myself, maybe I can't stand you, but at least I prayed this morning and read the scriptures. At least I prepared an excellent sermon. I know I can pray up a storm and still be a beast with people. And again, I I thought for years, and I think we often think that our enemies are an interruption to our spiritual life and our serving of Jesus. No, no. Actually, the way to God is through them, uh, the place to get connected to uh, to, your, to God is with your enemy, and the place to get connected to your enemy is with God. Both are needed. I'll, I'll say it again. It's such an important statement. The place to get connected to God is with your enemy, and the place to get connected to your enemy is with God. I mean, both are needed. And Dorotheus of Gaza in the 6th century wrote uh, talked about how the closer we draw near to God in love, the more the more we'll be able to love our neighbor, just like spokes in a wheel. And then it was our solitude or silence with God. It doesn't separate us from people, but it actually connects us to them. And the love of God flowing out of us comes from solitude with Jesus and His transformation, so that we're rooted in love for God and God's love for us, and it enables us to actually love other people. I mean, really, Jesus hints at it in Matthew twenty-five when He refers to, you know, what did you do to the least of them? You did to me. In other words, when you despise someone, you despise Christ. When you harden your hearts to people, you harden our heart to Christ. We can't separate the two. I, I, I often think of even David. You know, David. Um, I mean, David had a lot of enemies. Uh, Saul just being one of them. And I often think, why did God do this to this guy, David, especially early in his life when he seemed to have been very pure uh, of heart? And a verse that I have underlined many, many times over the years comes out of Psalm 69, uh, where David begins by saying, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters, the floods engulf me. And then he says this, Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Surely prophetic about Jesus. And he says this, For they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. I'll read it again. Uh, it's like... It, he basically says, God, they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. I know I have felt wounded by God. Like, he, God, why am uh, I wounded by you? These folks who love you and serving you are wounding me. And I, I'm sure I don't understand the depth of the verse, but David sure understood it. Jesus understood it. Uh, and so how do I deal with this enemy? Very, how do I, my enemies very practically You need a miracle. It takes a miracle to love your enemies. But the good news is God is good at miracles. Uh, There's nothing that causes us to realize our enormous, tremendous, total poverty of spirit than our inability to love uh, our enemies. We just don't have it. Uh, It must be born of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be sentimentality. It's sure not going to be self-will. I know for me the key has been when Jesus says pray for those uh, who persecute you, your enemies. Uh, now there's been times I, I can't even pray, and I, I, again I, I think of my my large betrayals that I've had. Oh, I don't know, a few of them, maybe three to five big ones in my years of you know serving Christ as a leader and a pastor. And in each case, initially, I, I couldn't even pray. i say, God, give me the, even the ability and desire to pray for them. Because I don't even have that. And then as God would give a little bit, I'd begin to pray, you know, and it wasn't just, you know, strike them down. It was, you know, God blessed them. I didn't have a lot of feeling in it. Uh, but over time, God did change my heart. And I, I didn't think it was even possible over time where it did become a heart that was soft and loving and... Uh, You know, one of the themes we teach in emotional discipleship is enlarge your soul through grief and loss. So there's a lot of grieving and loss involved in this. And again, this is a PhD level of enlarging your soul through grief and loss because I uh, I didn't have any feelings for these folks at all. Feelings I had uh, anger, uh, let, let alone you know positive feelings. And I said, God, give me the grace to pray. And so again, I don't want to be a doormat, of course, and uh, maybe you're in a situation where your dignity is being taken away and it's unhealthy, even abusive, and you want to learn boundaries and, and all that. And that's that's all important. I'm all for that. And again, you want to get get a hold of emotionally healthy discipleship and get that solidly sorted out for your life. But But the key to loving your enemies and and seeing them as saint makers, it's going to be a miracle from God inside of you. And all you can do and I can do is open ourselves up to him. But I can rest. I, I want to assure you, if it's never happened to you, it will happen to you. It happened to Jesus, and we're following Jesus. Uh, he was betrayed. A student is not above his teacher. Uh, a, a, a servant is not above their master. And Jesus was betrayed. Uh, we will be betrayed. We will be in Gethsemane. We'll know, oh, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Uh, And I remember praying that prayer uh, very high, very strongly. Oh, God begging him. And he didn't. Uh, There was a cup for me to drink. There's still a cup for me to drink, uh, but there was a cup. And so the question is who is your enemy today? Again, who's someone driving you crazy? Someone that you just want to avoid at all costs and you have a hard time loving? I want to invite you to bring that person to God. Uh, Just bring them before God. Here they are. Just say, God, here they are. And say, okay, Lord, might this person be an instrument from you for me and how are you coming to me you know guide me teach me you know, show me your next steps um, help me to even pray for them and, and bless them lord but even bringing this into your prayer life with god versus letting causing it to drive you away from god or compartmentalizing it despising them and just not wanting to even think about them again uh, it's a key moment in your own formation, discipleship with Jesus. Maximus the Confession was a theologian in the 600s, and he insisted that contemplation of God or love of God and love of neighbor were inseparable, and that the only way to become spiritually mature was through loving your neighbors, uh, especially your difficult neighbors. And here's what he wrote. He said, interior freedom is not possessed by anyone who cannot close his eyes to the fault of of a friend, whether real or apparent, that interior freedom is not yet possessed for anyone who cannot close his eyes to the fault of a friend, whether real or apparent. All of our friends have faults, don't they? You know, I mean, all of them, we have plenty. It's when those faults then hurt us, uh, that's when it gets very personal. And that's when the real test comes about, oh God, give me grace to love my enemies as saint maker. So uh, let me invite you to start a revolution in your leadership and your church's discipleship and uh bring the emotionally healthy discipleship course to your life you know get the by the leaders kit uh, go to emotionallyhealth.org buy that leaders kit get trained each month we do a training on how do you actually bring this uh, to your team uh, to your church uh, you cannot skip the training because this is a very serious discipleship course then following you have to just do it app uh, just do it and let God meet you and begin to do that deep work in your life and may we become the best lovers of enemies on the face of the earth and even in the midst of a very uh, polarized uh, world right now politically that we walk differently uh, even with folks that we disagree with and we love our enemies in every sense of the word regardless of where we stand on the spectrum so may the Lord bless you and keep you make his face shine on you in this very challenging uh, topic uh, that we've shared today so God bless you and have a great day look forward to seeing you next week Thank you.